Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. I am Ryan Heyman, also known as H, my eternal curse. <laughs> and I am Ryan Quintel, and my eternal delight is to be known as Q. Now, Q is my eternal delight. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> yes, we're getting uh, way too cheeky way too soon. So, uh, still as a new show, you know, we're trying to get our name out there, although I, I read on Twitter, Q, that you uh, ran into a bit of trouble trying to trying to spread the word, trying to spread the good gospel of Playwright. It's true. So, I may have gotten us banned from r slash gaming. <laughs> now, us, is this like a, like a shared account that we had created? Or? It is, it's not. Um, it is my own personal account. And I mm. know that if I attempt to make a second account, uh, that I will be somehow double banned or excommunicated for life. But hmm. I'm kind of wandering the desert, considering my life options, and uh, hopefully... Um, listeners out there, if you have Reddit accounts, you can share links to Playwright, but we cannot. It is self-promotion. So none, oh, of, none of that will be had on r slash gaming. I received an email a, f oh, must have been like a year back now or something like that from Reddit just saying like, hey, your account is having some sort of suspicious activity. You're making a lot of posts and a lot of likes that don't seem to be in your normal like i don't think it's like a personalized thing i think it's like a some sort of an ai like monitors account sure. activity and thought that whatever my account was doing was strange enough to get in contact with me so you know i just kind of paid it no mind because i'm not really a bigger reddit user whatever as long as i can still like look things up when i need it every eight months or so then i'll be pretty much fine i, I went to ask a question on um one of the one of the subreddits because that, that is a good source for information it's kind of like a little bit uh more well-educated yahoo answers in a way yes uh, and uh, I, I received a message from the moderator saying that i've been shadow banned and i at the time i didn't really know what that means uh, but it's I, our latest game pitch shadow band. <laughs> that's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> you can take that in all sorts of different directions. Um, but you know, I knew it was because of that, whatever the email was warning me about, like whatever was happening in my account at the time, uh, was probably the reason that I'd been shadow banned. Cause I think I'd only posted like maybe six things to that point previously, but it's still, it still felt a little like, like I let someone down and I still felt that kind of twinge of like, oh, I feel a little rejected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know the feeling very, very recently. <laughs> well, we can uh, hang out at the outskirts of Reddit, just kind of throwing stones at the passing by cars and dangling our feet over the precipice. But until then, let's, uh, let's get into some game ideas. Q, what are you bringing us today? Well, I've got a pretty simple and straightforward one, at least I think for you this week. This is the story of someone who breaks in to an advanced scientific facility to obtain the weapon that is going to, quote, end the war, whatever that generic mm. statement means. 
And the weapon that they're going to retrieve, the game opens with this sort of uh, movie sequence or whatever, something you're not controlling, and you get the weapon, and the weapon turns out to be able to shoot sort of energy that can bounce off of surfaces. And the entire structure of the game is a portal-like test chamber e escape from the facility using this bouncing gun. <laughs> and uh, the way it's formatted is kind of each room has certain amount of keys that unlock it. The keys are locked inside of boxes, and the boxes don't open unless they are hit by the weapon after a certain number of ricochets. Oh, interesting. Yes. So <laughs> depending on, you can imagine if you start introducing uh, materials and surfaces, maybe mm. those bounce at different speeds. Uh, maybe you have to um, kind of nuclear vault style, have to uh, destroy two boxes simultaneously. Um, you could even get into ammo and stuff, but I don't want to go too far without you on my side, H. So... That's my pitch. <laughs> Let's start the doomsday clock. <laughs> oh, too real. So uh, to get into the kind of touch points and reference points, this makes me think of, of course, that uh, kind of first person puzzle, not platformer really, but kind of a puzzle shooter type of scenario, a first person puzzle games that Portal kind of popularized. There was a whole bunch of them. Cube, The Ball was another one of those games, there's a whole bunch of them from that kind of era, and they still come out every once in a while today. It is a really cool, like, aesthetic. It's a really good way to create these puzzle scenarios. Um, this also makes me think of, I've been playing a lot of uh, Splatoon 2 lately, and I'm not much one for the, the ranked modes, but I um, have played a round of Rainmaker, where you have to steal a weapon and then uh, try yes. to get into enemy territory using that as like kind of expanded firepower definitely cool the reference points that stick out the most as far as the really kind of intriguing mechanic of bouncing the i guess bullets or whatever is being shot from this energy balls from this gun is billiards and peggle being able to kind of line up those shots and uh, you know kind of like those master pool players do yeah they can know where you know, if you hit one of those dots on the side of the table, it'll bounce in a very predictable direction and they can do trick shots and, you know, bounce the balls into each other and then into the pockets and do some pretty amazing things. There's a whole kind of arena of trick billiards players who just do show off type of moves. Yeah, that was totally in my mind. Even one of my favorite pool trick shots that usually anybody who is knowledgeable enough to try to impress at a party will always try and do the ball jumping over mm. um the like the cue ball jumping over say the other team's color and hitting the proper color mm, yeah um, so i yeah i i keep wondering how surfaces come into play if they're reflective surfaces or whatever or if there are surfaces that absorb the energy and like I could imagine walking into a room that is well, I I can't say all mirrors because for whatever reason video games can't render mirrors very well. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, just a room of reflective surfaces and saying, I, I don't know if there's a real danger to the player about being hit with the weapon or something, but 
there'd have to be some sort of fail state, right? Or maybe you're just stuck in the room until you get out? Yeah, well, I mean, if you say that the puzzles have to be solved in a kind of specific way, you know, after a certain number of bounces, then if you fail, then like you just don't escape that room. Like You just kind of keep trying until you get it right. And there could be some sort of a death mechanic like there was in Portal, but the uh, death mechanics in Portal always felt a little like unnecessary. It's little tacked on, you yeah. know, not really, they didn't really add anything to the uh, overall experience. It's um, like you were dying really because it was a either, game though. or something, not because you needed yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, whether or not there's a death is kind of unimportant to the core concept of the game, but it, it's definitely an interesting idea. I have a hard time envisioning in my mind how the bouncing mechanic is going to work. I, I think there would have to be some sort of like a laser sight that would bounce off of one surface right. uh, just to give you an idea of the trajectory, but, um, you know, ultimately be up to the player to solve, you know, maybe the laser sights would be a little bit more generous towards the beginning or in lower difficulty levels, but right. it would be really cool to train the player to be able to decipher these, these 3D spaces well enough to know predictably how a ball is going to bounce around a space. Yeah, you even can, what you had suggested, ramp up difficulty by maybe early on. There's a lot of surfaces that honor your laser sight and show you where it will oh, bounce. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later on, you're kind of like, you have to shoot it at this like material that absorbs light, so you have no idea where it's going to go after that. It's just like, I, I'm still trying to figure out, is this interesting, the environment has to be one of the most interesting things, or the placement of these cubes, I think. Has to be one of the most interesting things, especially if you could like just rapid fire. I don't want to encourage someone to just spam until they get the thing. Right. I could see this getting very frustrating very quickly as well, um, because one of the things about another one of those first person puzzle games, the Talos Principle, which I really like, but it is uh, it kind of falls victim to a lot of the trappings that these games have a tendency to because you can make such like infinitely minute movements and the talus principle was very much about being in the exact right place. Like everything feels a little fiddly, uh, you know, placing these laser guns to activate switches. They had to be kind of just right. And sometimes they would have to be in motion and trigger things at just the right time. And, you know, it was all doable. And that game was uh, very intelligently designed, but you know, there were times when it felt like it was just on the cusp of breaking. Yeah. And so I can see if you are just manually aiming this like a regular first person shooter, even the smallest adjustment can send the ball careening in an entirely different direction. And I don't, I don't really know how to solve for that unless like movement was grid based and your aiming was kind of like eight directional instead of sure entirely free. But that comes with a different feeling as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm not sure about that other than aim assisting a little bit, like fudging it on some of the bounces to make them behave in a more predictable way. Yeah, making it a little forgiving in terms of how exacting yeah. you need to be. I also wondered if, you know, you start introducing, you know, environmental stuff that you have to manipulate in terms of... You can shoot something and it is like a power pylon that kind of like Hmm. sends it in a specific direction for you or whatever. You're kind of trying to complete circuits or something. Um, Yeah. But then 
maybe where it spits it out, you have to, you know, drag almost like a God of War style, drag giant pieces of the environment into angles or whatever to reflect light. Having to activate a switch, like three bounces into it, and then sending that same ball of energy into the, you know, open for a very short time receptor. Yeah. Because there are a few puzzles like this in Portal. You know, there's some where you have to bounce balls around on tilted platforms and whatever and hit them into their receptors. And uh, so, you know, this this kind of thing definitely can work. It just gets a little fiddly. Even in Portal, those balls were not created by the player. They were on a very specific course and they could hit only a very specific number of of predetermined platforms. So... It is why I like the idea of, um, I, I initially was thinking multiple ammo types. I think that could be too complex, but if you had, say, mm-hmm. control over the speed of the projectile some way, then you can have a scenario where you're trying to manipulate the environment to reflect things at the proper time so that two boxes get hit at the same time and kind of open up and free you from a room. Or it could even be you're sending out a little camera drone that would behave kind of like the ball in Dangerous Golfing or the remote control Batarang from Arkham Asylum. Oh, yes. To give you some sort of visual control, some sort of uh, like aftertouch on this thing. So it's not just kind of like shoot it and forget it. Like, you know, you kind of inhabit the ball at that point. It would be very satisfying then to kind of collide with the box and unlock the door. As long as that wouldn't make it too easy. And it is kind of nice to be pulled away from it as well and kind of see all the whole like Rube Goldberg machine like slide into place and see your handiwork that you planned for. There's also an aspect of a kind of like miniature golf about this as well, like <laughs> yeah. setting up the right shot. And, uh, you know, I just recently played actually a an entrant for a local game jam and it's a vr game essentially it's kind of like a 3d mini golf you're just kind of floating in space and you have these tubes that can turn and curve all over the place and you can pull back on this ball kind of like it's in a in a slingshot or something and then release it and it bounces around these tubes and you have to get it into the hole at the other end in a certain number of hits and so if it kind of operated under like golf rules then that could be a way of making it work as well. Yeah, that's really interesting to consider. I mean, I think it's going to be a balance of how much control do you give before it feels like cheating, essentially, right? Now, of course, you said that this was set in a science facility, uh, kind of like Portal with Aperture Science, but I thought this could be a fun opportunity to think of some interesting obstacles that would only appear in a science facility. And I was thinking about, you said before that not all surfaces would reflect light and it got me thinking about that like super black paint that people have developed uh where if you paint it on an object like you it just basically looks like one of those like portable holes that you know roger rabbit carries around or something it's just like perfectly black no matter how you view it it doesn't reflect the texture of whatever it's painted on any longer yeah. Um, and that'd be kind of a neat mechanic for the game is that if you have objects that you need to bounce something off of, you need to know its shape. But if something is painted in such a way where it basically just kind of looks like a hole in reality, then you really have to get like a 360 degree view of it before you can really form a mental idea of what the shape looks like. Right. You think you're dealing with a, a cylinder and realize it's a cone 
and yeah, it drastically yeah. changes the the prescription of what to do. Yeah, or it has a chunk cut out of it and you need to know like what the angles are. Yeah, it'd be neat also if you could mark points of uh, like bounce points before you end up shooting the gun. Uh, you can kind of like plan things out beforehand. So you still have to do the mental exercise. It's not a complete gimme. Uh, but it does make the actual like firing the weapon and having the ball bounce around seem a little bit more fair because you can kind of follow a predetermined course. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I mean, that's essentially almost Breath of the Wild style, mark your own map Yeah, yeah, uh, right. sort of a mechanic. <laughs> I, I, I wonder then if, you know, throughout the course of escaping or whatever, as a room maybe enters a state of disarray, once you're able to leave it, you collect small objects or pieces that you're able to attach to things or as uh, you know affix to things so that you can control somewhat of a bounce in an area you're like oh i need a wedge here and i oh, need yeah, a, yeah. you know a, a, a cone or a scoop over here yeah they could be clever i like that but uh we are out of time talking about that idea so we're going to need a name for this top secret project <laughs> well I thought that even though it is a serious setup, I would skew towards it being more lighthearted like Portal. So I've been considering the name Off the Wall. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> I'll take it. Off the Wall. All right. So my idea today is a little bit more uh, serious and maybe a bit of a downer, but um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it will be interesting at least. In this game, you play a modern warfare type of game, um, kind of like a Call of Duty or a Battlefield or something like that. But instead of playing the soldier, you play a war photographer. And you're just kind of moving throughout the battlefields, taking pictures of things that, as they're happening around you. And you have some level of choice as to what photos you choose to turn into your publisher and what photos are published, what kind of narrative it creates for the public back home and their perception of the war. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as well as being scored on the quality of photos that you are taking. So, you know, I came with one of my earliest ideas was about a, a crime scene photographer. And this one is not, not too far away from that, but I think we'll take it in a different direction. So let's start the clock on this war photography game. Well, this is, you're right, it's heavy. You know, I can't help but immediately start drawing a comparison to, I don't know if you're familiar with 1979 Revolution Black Friday, I think is the full name of it. Is that a, a game? This is a game hmm. where um, it's it's mostly a narrative game, um, although you are playing a photographer and you're supposed to be documenting the Iranian uh, Revolution. Oh, yeah, you know, that sounds familiar, yeah. What's interesting about what I think your game could be here is we so often are the cause of violence or horror in these war games, mm -hmm. but very often the action is always happening in a very bombastic way, especially with like a Call of Duty or whatever, that we're very often not put in a situation where we're forced to kind of sit with it and mm, yeah. have to deal with the kind of aftermath that, I mean, we've created in that scenario, but in this case, I imagine the photographer isn't necessarily taking up arms. So I'm trying to think of if there even needs to be a mechanic of what light you're portraying each side of this war in and, you know, what the public's influence is on all of this. I think mechanically on like a moment to moment level, 
I would want it to play a kind of like a Call of Duty, like a cover shooter. Like you are actively avoiding gunfire. You aren't just taking photos in your nice, safe little booth. And you have to, you know, take risks to get to the places to get the good shots. And you have to try to sneak around your enemies so they don't find you and shoot you. Or you could try to like blend into the local populace and you can choose to take photos of... Uh, you know, the, the people peaceful in their village, or you can choose to take photos of the soldiers out fighting the war. You can take damning photos of the enemy, or you can take photos of the home country army, maybe doing some unethical things as well. And so I want to, in some way, mechanically reinforce the idea that the spread of information in a war can affect the outcome not to necessarily the same degree as force, but it can be a prevalent force because we started to see that in like World War One. The photography that came out of that war definitely kind of shifted the public's opinion about the war in general. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of the propaganda in World War Two, and a lot of the kind of like negative publicity that uh, Vietnam War got and all of the, you know, images coming out of that war. And it's just a really interesting part of conflict. I wonder how far to lean into some of the photography aspects of it, because I think video games will occasionally put in a photography mechanic, but Mm -hmm. they're not really going all the way in it. Like a real war photographer might have to, you know, decide what lens to use in the field yeah, that yeah. day or have a backpack you have your weapon it, wheel with exactly all your of like different lenses <laughs> or whatever. And the opportunity cost of having to change cameras or change lenses or not getting the shot right of missing moments potentially. Um, and having that kind of, I had my chance to, to capture something important and I didn't quite get it because I thought I could get a better shot or something. It kind of like playing a sniper and, you know, other sh- types of shooters. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is a it's a voyeuristic form of warfare. The idea of kind of like a nonviolent shooter, like there is violence around you, but you aren't necessarily the one that is participating in it. You are not passive. You're not uh, you're still an active member of the war, but you are taking more of a pacifist role. You're not actively killing anybody, but, you know, you are supporting the troops or you are, you know, condemning the troops or or you are having some sort of an effect on this conflict. Yeah, there's an opportunity here to bake in the, I don't necessarily want to call it mechanic, but there is a social pressure for a photographer, right, where you might be with, you know, a squad of people whose job it is to protect you if you're not making them or, mm. you know, their country look very good, you know, what is the likelihood they're going to protect you? I mean, you can still, this is a game unlike the one that we just talked about where death would actually be a very meaningful consequence of what's going on. Yeah. yeah it would be interesting to have those moments where your squad does step in to save you and you have to look them in the eyes afterwards and you know, whether or not you've been, you know, entirely supportive of their cause, like they're still required to save you to the best of their abilities. And, you know, having to face them afterwards, if you have been sending some 
rather, uh, you know, damning evidence back to the States or wherever this photographer hails from. I really like the idea of being able to, that's almost Final Fantasy XV style, once these photos are taken, be able to share them on real social media. The idea of presenting war through your personal photographer's eyes and whether that is you know, for some people it might be glorious, for some people it might be horrible, and to see the reaction from your own, you know, social network in terms of how they respond to what you decided was the important thing to shoot. Yeah, yeah. You know, so much of the, not like necessarily war perception, but a lot of the perception of the conflicts that have been happening and politically and socially back home in the States have been so heavily influenced by photography and, and videos over the past few years. And, yes. you know, especially, you know, recording this just a couple of days ago, we had a big conflict in Virginia and, uh, you know, between uh, protesters and neo-Nazis. And it was, you know, crazy to have this kind of thing happening in 2017. But to see some of the photos that are coming out of this, it's like that is this information, this kind of visual representation of these things that are happening is such a powerful tool in this conflict that these these injustices, this hateful rhetoric is no longer just something that people might tell stories about afterwards. Like it's something that people are faced with and they can see with their own eyes, you know, happening right there in front of them. And they can see the carnage in the aftermath and the terror that it would bring people. And so, you know, in a way, like photography means that you can't hide from reality anymore. You can't just kind of play coy about, yeah, I'm sure everything's fine over there, you know? And so in the war space, I want to find ways to add a little bit of kind of a risk and reward and kind of honor that job, because that's not one that I see a ton of movies and video games or anything about, you know, I, I was doing a little bit of research because this idea feels like something that somebody would have created by now. Sure. Right. And I was able to pull up, uh, somebody was prototyping something like this back in 2011, a game called Warco. But from what I understand, like I was not able to pull up any reference to that after 2011. And so I think they probably abandoned the project. If I were to guess, they have kind of a really rough trailer up on YouTube, but that's about it. So I, I think this is otherwise completely kind of unexplored territory. And I think there's a lot that can be done here. I know that we're coming up against time, but I do want to suggest to you that it's interesting to be the kind of sort of life and death photographer physically in this space. But I think another angle of this that is interesting is so many games now have that disembodied photo mode where mm -hmm. you have, you know, limited uh, place that you can kind of walk around or wander around, but you, you've sort of frozen time and how you're choosing to capture it is a little bit more freeform. And, you know, I think that this game to me in my head leans so heavily into, you know, graphical realism that like some of the stuff we've seen more recently, being able to capture the real ugliness of a person's expression or the real fear in a victim's eyes might not necessarily mean that you have to be doing it from behind cover. You know, maybe it's a, just about 
you know, a limited number of pauses and finding the right moments to make it happen. That is a different direction. I wish we could explore that more. <laughs> but as for right now, we have to close our war journal and document our findings so far. So uh, we can uh, kind of open that up to the community as well. If you want a like an actual physical war photographer in a, sp in a place, or if you want this more limited but still kind of free open camera that you can use to photograph the war kind of like it was a project gotham racing game yeah and you can you can let us know you can write into us at playwrightcast on twitter or you can uh, go ahead and throw a comment on this episode at playwrightcast.com where all of our episodes are posted and that is p-l-a-y-w-r-i-t-e-c-a-s-t so as for a name for that one, the name that I was thinking of is Viewfinder. Oh. Because View to a Kill was already taken. So, you know. <laughs> I don't want to do anything to that name. I think it's very good. <laughs> cool. Well, Viewfinder it is then. <laughs> the War Photography Simulator. Yes. All right. We have one game pitch left today. This comes from Ashton Herman, who says, okay, here's one that I dream about every time I step into the gym. Skyrim meets Wii Fit. Basically, it's an augmented reality fitness game of sorts that thrusts players into an open world and deep RPG. But the only way to improve one's skills is to exercise them in real life. The game tracks various exercises and habits, or ties into other apps that do, via your phone, and then uploads improvements and or losses to your player character. Alright, well let's open the door on that one and see where we can take this. Knowing the two of us, fitness is pretty much something that we're experts at, right? <laughs> well, you know I what? I can totally go up a whole flight of stairs without becoming badly winded. Yeah, <laughs> I, I certainly know the feeling. Mm. I'm actually actively on a diet trying to make lifestyle changes, so I need this game to exist. Yeah, and this idea of kind of gamifying things that we otherwise wouldn't necessarily want to do has been attempted before in a lot of mobile fitness things or mobile diet things or mobile uh, a lot of really good depression based software will kind of codify yes. behaviors and give you experience points but a lot of that is mostly uh, just kind of numbers and text yeah it's really interesting to think about instead of just like the mobile phone companion that is tracking your steps which is like Zombies Run is one of these type of games where they're oh, yeah, kind of yeah. just like, you run every day and the zombies are working at some sort of pace. So every time the zombies get close enough, it makes you run again. Mm. At least that's what I gather from what I've been told. Mm -hmm. Whereas if to get better at movement speed in Skyrim, I had to walk a mile every day or maybe every other day is like a loose requirement. That's pretty interesting to me. I mean, I... I think what we don't get a lot as gamers is an away from the game exercise or, or ability that it's yeah. asking us to do that, that benefits our actual couch time, which so many of us value. Yeah. I know I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, and this is a really smart idea. I think one of my favorite things about the idea is that the game itself is not necessarily played while you are active and, Maybe that's a mistake that a lot of these games make is that, you know, they are tied to the physical activity. So, of course, like right. you would have the phone up in front of you while you're running to engage with the game. But while you're running, you're kind of focused on that. You don't want a distraction. Maybe that would kind of take you off course. But if you keep in shape, then your game character 
is in better shape, kind of like a Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, how CJ could get fat if you didn't eat well, but kind of tying that to like real world habits. And this could like interface with Fitbits or smartwatches or, uh, you know, even uh, Nintendo tried something kind of like this with the 3DS. It has a step counter and you can get up to like 10 play coins every day. I think it's like 10 or 100 or something. Uh, You can get a certain number of play coins every day. And then throughout multiple, usually first party games, you could spend those play coins. And there wasn't really anything that was like hugely necessary um, to to spend those on that would really make like a critical in-game difference. But it is an interesting idea. And it's something that definitely has some potential, especially now that we have fitness tracking, you know, wearables that a lot of people own, you know, why not tie that to something that a PlayStation can read? I could be wrong, but I vaguely remember something about you could hatch a Pokemon egg a little quicker by walking around with your 3DS yeah, in yeah. your pocket. Well, there was a, a Pokewalker that came with Soul Silver and Heart Gold. You can transfer a Pokemon into that Pokewalker. It was just kind of a consumer grade pedometer, but yeah, you can level up Pokemon that way. And yeah, Nintendo's tried that a few times, um, you know, finding fun and interesting ways to bring their games into the real world as well. And I, d- I don't necessarily think it has to be entirely tied to an unbiased metric, like how many steps you took according to your phone or your watch or something. Instead, I, I also think it's interesting if the RPG on one hand is this out you know completely outlandish fantasy game like a skyrim or a fallout or whatever and then in the app or whatever that comes on your phone you says hey what are your what are your real goals or fitness goals that you think you can do maybe one of them is drinking enough water Mm. um or you know doing yoga and stretching and if you feel like you're meeting those goals and you're you're taking them off maybe water becomes you know mana for you or it's it's giving you items i can just imagine the push announcements that would give me like <laughs> aquakin i thirst once more thirst yeah. for battle but also five to eight servings of water a day <laughs> that's right i thirst for battle in 64 ounces of water <laughs> um yeah it's this is really really cool and i personally love the idea of being able to earn whether it's just straight up earn things or it's also interesting to think of like how fast I can go on a treadmill is my maximum character speed, like <laughs> lem- limits based on, <laughs> I know that's true. I don't know if I want that personally, but limits based on your limits, because so often I know in a, in a grand theft auto game or a grand theft auto online, I am making a character that is supposed to approximate me in mm-hmm. some ways. So whether it's, you know, their fitness level or their ability set, maybe there's ways to figure out how to mirror my own. And, you know, I already feel like I can outrun Link in Breath of the Wild before becoming winded. So <laughs> I might already be on my way to becoming a great adventurer. You mean more than 20 seconds of <laughs> yeah. running? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, one of the things about Skyrim, like they keep re-releasing that thing. And I keep kind of thinking like, 
oh, it's in, it's on Switch now. Do I want to go back to it? Nah, it's on VR. It's kind of cool. Do I want to go back to it? Not really. Uh, but I do have a lot of desire to go back to Oblivion. And I think one of the reasons is because you could do more of those kind of like passive leveling things as you go. And I just remember playing that on the Xbox 360 originally and jumping everywhere that I went because Me too. every jump that you performed, it would like level up your jumping skill. <laughs> now, and so before too long, you'd just be able to like bound over trees. <laughs> <laughs> I did the exact same thing. And I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. I know you can, Ashton, but there's going to be a gamer that hooks their pedometer up to their dog or something and just <laughs> gets a million points every day because they're crazy. Your butt sniffing ability has greatly improved, <laughs> my lord. That's right. But you're only eating dry food. You have to stop. <laughs> yeah, but I did in Oblivion wedge myself into this little sort of banner and ceiling and did about a thousand jumps to get <laughs> you know up a few levels just to just to see what the upper limit of that thing was i used to use the we fit pedometer the one that came with we fit you and it was uh it was nice for a while but it was always just kind of something that i would have to remember to clip on to my belt loop or whatever and yeah it was just like an extra step in the process and it would be nice if we could have something that was a little bit more like platform agnostic since so many people have pedometers, they have phones that are capable of measuring steps. They have uh, Fitbits, they have other kind of fitness bands, they have, you know, dietary apps. And if a game could really just like form a partnership or could at least be able to read the output files that they put out and just kind of fit into the life of the gamer and however they already choose to exercise or what tools are freely available to them to not burden them with anything extra. I feel like the game could also have mindfulness mechanics while you play. For example, yeah, yeah. my watch is always kind of passively tracking my heart rate, right? So what things in the world could manipulate based on that state. There's so much biometric data we collect now and being able to plug it in and have a video game react to me. I imagine, especially if this is a horror game, right? That mm -hmm, would be yeah. really cool. Like it knows how scared I am essentially. And I, I think that is kind of triggering a memory. I think there's something out there that's experimented at that before as far as like heart rate monitors and yeah i know speedrunners hook up their heart rate a lot which is interesting to really? me really yeah ultimately i would want this tied to a satisfying game and yes. all of these features to just kind of be peripheral and somebody could play the game if you know, even if they didn't want to engage with this whole side of it, because, you know, this, this isn't going to fit into everybody's life and that's fine. And I think if a game came forward as being, you know, we are fitness first and gameplay second, it would never get funded because that's not what publishers think that people want. Otherwise things like this would be all over the place. I think people do want this, but I don't think that publishers know that, but if they added this feature into something that already exists, like a Skyrim or a Kingdoms of Amalur or something like that, then yeah. I could see, you know, this being something that people could really get behind. 
So append this into an existing game and, and think of ways that the developers can kind of like balance it around that. Uh, we are currently out of time ourselves to talk about this more, ah. but I really want to hear more from the community as far as where you would take this idea. Me too. Ashton comes in with a name. He decides to call it FitQuest, which, uh, yeah, I, I think if you are marketing a standalone product, that's not the not the worst name you can come up with. <laughs> yeah. But as we said, like, it would be neat if this was just a feature in a, you know, Deus Ex or Elder Scrolls game or Legend of Zelda or whatever. It would even be interesting to see the FitQuest app be sort of a service a la discord or game spy that like integrates with many many games yeah, right yeah. or like a, a like an amiibo for instance so there you go FitQuest the platform skyrim compatible with FitQuest <laughs> because it's compatible with everything else so why not <laughs> yes the FitQuest platform i like that a lot all right so that is our show today if you have a idea that you would like to pitch then you can send that to playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can send it to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can just tweet us at playwrightcast, and we will feature that on an upcoming show. I want to give a special thanks to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World. It's off his album Blue Noise, which is very good and on Bandcamp if you want to buy it. Excellent. We will see you next week. Ryan, why don't you take us out with a uh, something real real stupid today <laughs> all right i think the latest one i want to leave you with is an interspecies dating simulator <laughs> we are not far from that already there's been <laughs> pigeon dating sims and cat dating sims but i i think it is just cats dating cats and pigeons dating pigeons so right we need a cat dating pigeon <laughs> that's right that's the uh that's the star-crossed lovers that that the world is really curious about and you know, a certain audience that would attract as well. I don't know if I want to get into that, but <laughs> thank you for that. We'll <laughs> see you next week. Bye.